people said, Amen. You may be seated. Good to see you in the house of God this morning. I want to dismiss those in grades kindergarten through fifth to Kid City. You can make your way to the lobby out there, and they have a worship experience designed specifically for you. And looking forward to digging into the Word. Take your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 is going to be our text this morning. This week I've been in a uh, couple of lacrosse games. My son plays lacrosse at Middle Creek High School. And on Tuesday night they play in the final four uh, for the state of North Carolina. And uh, so uh, it's been an exciting week and uh, just watching. And I want to encourage you this morning, when you get excited in church, when you respond in worship, uh, what that does for your pastor, uh, it just it, it, it lights, lights a fire under me. And uh, uh, so on a Thursday night, we were sitting in the, uh, in the stands there, and there was a dad. Uh, actually, I think it was Tuesday night. I, I witnessed it. And then again on Thursday night, there was a dad in the, in the crowd, and he was getting a little agitated because he was excited, and he wanted the crowd to get excited too. And so he was going, or he would say, okay, on three. And he would say, one, two, three. And the entire stands would yell, okay. And uh, it was there just to encourage the team. And uh, so I want to encourage you this morning. You can say, okay. You can say, amen. You can say, all right. You can say, preach. You can say, hallelujah. But get excited because the more he did that, it, before long, he was running up and down in front of the student section. And they were all up on their feet screaming. And this was a dad. I mean, I was thinking there thinking, I mean, he must be exciting to be in church. Uh, I love to see him in worship because I bet he gets excited. But folks, the, the reality is, as we open the word of God, this is God's love letter to us. We ought to get excited about when we come to worship in the house of God, to lift our voices, lift our hands in worship, and let Jesus know how much we adore him and magnify his name. And last Sunday, we celebrated Mother's Day. And uh, this past week, all of the pictures from Mother's Day uh, were all flooding social media. And it's exciting just to see families getting together. But whether alive or in our hearts, the love that we have for our, our families and our, our children is just, it's awesome to see. We, we saw last week as Jesus was feeding the 5,000, and that's just the men, plus all of the women and the children. We looked at the, the miracle of the Jewish Happy Meal as, as this young man had five little uh, muffins and uh, two small little fish. It wasn't tilapia that weren't serving uh, fine fares of the day. It was a, a little kid's lunch, sack lunch, and he gave it to Jesus, and he multiplied it and fed over probably 15,000 people. And the Word of God tells us that the leftovers, the take-home boxes, were 12 big baskets filled. You can imagine as he goes back home and says, Mom, you are not going to believe what happened today. Uh, Jesus took that little lunch that you packed me early this morning before I left the house, and he fed literally thousands of people, and and all this is the leftovers. I mean, I, we've got enough food for like a month, so I hope the, the freezer is, is ready to handle all of it. Today we're going to dive into the last part of chapter 6, where Jesus walks on the water, and we're going to have a, a seven-course meal today. Last Sunday was just uh, a little five loaves and two small fish, and we passed around those 
little uh, muffins, little bites, and we had the, uh, the, the goldfish. Today we're going to jump into a, a seven-course meal. So, uh, you know, get out your fork and knife. You're going to use it, and we're going to dig into the Word of God this morning. I want us to see the where to obey even when we don't understand God's plan. Look at uh, Mark chapter 6. Begin reading in verse 45. Obey even when you don't understand. It says immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Mark uses the word immediately. In other words, there was an urgency about what Jesus was doing. He had a plan. After an amazing miracle where he feeds literally thousands of people, they're suddenly wanting to make him king. They're saying, hey, this is the person we want to be our leader. This is the person we want to be our king. And so they're trying to basically have a political coup. And Jesus is like, I'm going to have no part of that. So he sends the disciples off in a boat. He dismisses the crowd, and he goes up onto the mountain to pray. He's taking a time of, of solitude and, and prayer. After this amazing miracle, Jesus made his disciples immediately get into a boat. He gave them orders. You know, the problem today is so often we want to know all the details before we decide if we're going to follow Jesus. God, I want you to know, I want you to tell me what my destination is. I want you to show me your whole plan. And if I can see the next 10 years outlined, I'll be obedient. That's not how God works, folks. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. Because what he's doing is he's saying, I want you to step out of the boat. I want you to trust me. I want you to follow me. I'm going to direct your every step. And so immediately he says, obey even when we don't understand. Instead of just saying, God, uh, I, you know, tell me the, 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 the plan for your life. And, and I know uh, some of you are getting ready to graduate from high school. Some people just graduated from college. And you're trying to figure out what is God's plan? What is his will for my life? And back when I was growing up as a teenager, I heard a lot of sermons on the will of God. And the more I heard preached on it, sometimes the more elusive it became. And I was like, am I going to ever know if I'm doing the will of God, Bobby? And, and sometimes there's that feeling. But folks, the reality is, is, is God is beginning to work. As we begin to obey and follow, it's not so much of this, I can see in the next 10, 20, 30 years. It's, I want to follow Jesus today. Where he's leading today and tomorrow he'll lead me in the path I should go tomorrow, next month, next year, two years from now, ten years from now. I don't have to worry about those details because God is going to direct my steps. In John chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, it reveals that the people wanted to take Jesus by force to make him king. He understood the big picture if he didn't disperse the crowd, there was going to be a mess on their hands. And so he sends the disciples away. And it's a reminder that God has the big picture. In Isaiah chapter 55, it says in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my way, declares the Lord. What's he saying? He says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is working his perfect plan for the universe. And folks, I'm thankful this morning he uses people like you and me. 
If we're obedient, God will take you, whatever ability, he'll take that small uh, five uh, muffins and, and, the, and the two small fish. If we'll give it to God and he'll multiply it, he'll bless it, he'll use it for the kingdom of God. You may be spiritually stuck simply this morning because we're demanding to understand the, the, every detail before we obey. Obedience requires our faith. In God. But secondly, Jesus prays for us. Even when we can't pray for ourselves. Verse 46 says, And after he had taken leave of them, he, had, he went up to the mountain to pray. Aren't you thankful this morning? Even in your deepest, darkest trial, God is praying for us. The midst of, uh, of laying up in a hospital bed or, or, or the loss of a loved one or loss of a job or financial crisis, Jesus is praying on your behalf to the Father. He's interceding to the Father before us. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 says, rising up early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he did what, church? He prayed. Jesus is praying for us. And folks, it's normal for Jesus to unplug, to get away from all the noise and the crowds. And it's healthy. It's healthy for you and me. The Bible tells us there are at least three things that he's praying for. He's praying to our, for our faith to not fail. In Luke chapter 22, he says, I pray for you that your faith may not fail. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He wants us to stand firm in our faith. To, to be yeah, constantly aware of how God is at work and he's using us for the glory and the kingdom of God. He's, he's also praying that we stay away from sin and Satan. John chapter 17, he says, verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Sometimes we think to protect our kids, we have to put them in this little Christian bubble and everything is perfect around them. You know what happens in a Christian bubble? Sin. You know what happens in a perfect world and environment? Sin enters in. And so we can do everything in our power. But folks, the reality is God's saying, I'm praying that you protect them. I'm putting, praying a hedge of protection around my kids so as they're off in college, they're in high school or middle school, that God gives them everything they need to be a light for Jesus Christ, to live out their faith in a lost and dying world that is dying to be Christ, that needs Jesus. They also he prays that they may stay away from sin and Satan. He, he says he didn't want them to experience all of the, the pain and of the evil one, but then he says that we might experience undivided unity. He's praying for the unity of the body of Christ in John 17, verse 20. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they may also be, that you also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Christ is desiring that the world, we've been living in such a way the world would see Christ in us. The hope of glory. We've got to go and, and share, declare the name of Jesus. And so when we exhibit oneness, our witness to the world will be powerful. It will, it will be a, a stark reminder of the broken world that we live in when we're unified in, in, in the body of Christ. The problems that we have in this country are not going to be solved 
through politicians. They're not going to be solved by protesting or posting on Facebook or, or Twitter. That's not going to change people's lives. What's going to change this world is the prayer of God's people. God, use me. Be glorified in my life. Be magnified in my life that I might live out my faith in a lost and dying world. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, he says, Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 34 says, says this about Christ. He says, Who is on the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Great reminder this morning, whatever you're facing, Whatever your struggle, whatever your need is, God knows that. And Christ is interceding before the Father on your, on your behalf. And when the world seems completely out of control, people are nervous about what might happen next. It's time to respond with the grace and love of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world that we live in. Thirdly, Jesus puts, he puts us where you don't always want to be. So what does that mean? Sometimes, just like Matt said in the service this morning, he says, some of you might feel a little uncomfortable. Sometimes God puts us in uncomfortable situations. Why? Because it forces us to look up and acknowledge our need for Jesus in our life. It forces us to be a little uncomfortable. Verse 47, when evening came, the boat was out on the sea. He was alone on the land. It's getting dark, and the disciples are getting out into a, a deeper water. And there, we, we know this from Matthew chapter 14. He says they were a long way from the land. This was supposed to be just a short little after-dinner cruise. They were just going to go across the Sea of Galilee, getting away from the crowd. And it's supposed to be just a small, leisurely after-dinner cruise. But folks, it turned into... A huge storm. Christ was praying. There's 12 men that are on setting sail on a little after-dinner cruise, and the weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was getting tossed back and forth. And some of you might feel like you're in that deep water today. Maybe you feel like you're in that storm. You're in the midst of that craziness. The disciples are, are together. There was no time for arguing. There's no time for fighting. They were pulling together. They're rowing. They're trying to get to the other side of, of the Sea of Galilee. And church, all of us are in this fight together. We're all in the race of life together. Christ has called us to be unified. He's, he's wanting us to be uncomfortable at times so that he can work in and through our lives. Church, we're in the same boat. I want us to... I'm going to illustrate this this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something just a little bit different. I said it will be uncomfortable. I want you to stand up. Every, every single one of you stand up where you're at. Some of you say, I've got to wake up now, Pastor David. <laughs> All right. Just in case you're wondering, since the beginning of creation, all right, since God put Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, he came down and walked with them. Uh, we can reach out and touch our neighbor, all right? So what I want you to do this morning, I want you to move together towards the center of the room, all right? Find the person beside of you, all right? So the closest people to you, I want you to cross the aisles, and you can hold hands if you want to. If you're too afraid to hold hands, you can fist bump, all right? 
But I want you to reach out to the people that on either side of you. Go ahead and do it. Just come on across the aisle if you have to. But find somebody else that's across the aisle from you. There is a point to what we're doing, all right? <laughs> I want you to know the people that you're touching on either side of you are made in the image of God. You believe that? They're made in the image of God. And the beautiful thing is they might look, they might be a different gender than you. Maybe you're, you're standing next to a, a guy, or you're standing next to a girl. They might be a different gender than you. They might belong to a different political party than you. Like, huh, let go. Hey, touching them. All right. Woo! We all have, no, we're not going to all be exactly alike. That's okay. They might be from a different part of the country or maybe from another country. All right? Think about that. They're, you know, sometimes we, we go up to the mountains sometimes and they're like, you're not from around here, are you? We don't have the same dialect, all right? Uh, and sometimes I'm thinking, thank God. <laughs> they probably look at me thinking, yeah, you are definitely not from around here. Uh, that person might be from a different generation besides you. We were having prayer this morning and we were joking about the different generations demonstrated in, in the worship and all of the volunteers there this morning and people that had never actually had to dial a phone number like this, you know. <laughs> They've never used a cassette tape or had to rewind a video VHS so you could please be kind and rewind, all right? Different generations, all right? Think about this from different parts of the country. We've got Yankees in here, all right? I mean, I know some of you are, are proud, you know, New Yorkers, and you're from up, up north and the northeast, and, and you're from Miami, all right? Some of you are some of you from other countries, come up here from the other countries around the United States. Some are from the, the left coast or the west coast, all right? I'm, I'm just thinking on, <laughs> we got several of those. We got people from all over the country, different walks of life. Think about it, just think about it. Different colored skin. You might be in management. The person beside you might be a student in high school. Think about it. You might be a Carolina fan and you're having to touch hands with a state or a Duke fan. You might be a Hurricanes fan standing beside a Bruins fan. Woo! That was a Bless them, Lord. We'll have to pray for them, all right? Maybe they'll get right with God. But, you know, it's a little uncomfortable at times. Somebody said, this is the more, most I've touched somebody else other than my immediate family in over two years. It's okay. You're, for over 6,000 years, we've done this, folks. Listen, hold on. It's time to repent of any feelings of superiority. And thinking that somehow I've arrived. You know, the reality is, is I might be up here preaching, but I'm no more valuable in the, the family of God than the custodian or the one that's changing diapers right now or the person that met you with a Mickey Mouse hand waving in the park. They better have their Mickey Mouse hand on this morning. Uh, and no more important than the people back there working the sound. Folks, just because our gifts are different, we're all needed in the body of Christ. Every single one of us are valuable. What I want to challenge you this morning is 
Repent of the, the wrong attitudes, the wrong thoughts toward others. And I want to give you a couple practical things to do this week. Have a conversation with someone that's different than you this week. A meaningful conversation. Someone that's a different color, maybe from a different part of the country, maybe from a different country, maybe from a different political background. Have a conversation, a, a real conversation. Let them know you care about them. What about buying the person's lunch or dinner that's behind you in the drive-thru? I can tell you with inflation like it is right now, it'll bless their heart. What about when you pull up and the person beside you on the other side of the pump pulls up and like, can I buy your gas today? You know what that would do for me? Gas is like $4.25, $4.50 a gallon. You always say, I'm going to make sure they're not driving a Suburban before I do that. I mean, only a, 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 one of those cars that's part gas, part electric. You know, I'm going to do one of those cars, but I'm not going to do a Corolla or a Civic or something. Not a Suburban. What if you reached over and said, can I pay for your gas today? I just want to be a blessing to you. What if you paid for someone's groceries at the checkout? I'll never forget one night we were checking out at Christmas time at Target. In, in a, or actually in Walmart in Holly Springs and a lady came up to me and she said can I talk to you for a second she gave me two $100 bills and she said I want you to buy some presents for those twins that you have she said I lost a child several years ago and she said every Christmas I, I try to pay it back and, or pay it forward and help some other family but she didn't know us from anybody but the reality is this Every single day we have an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You may be seated. You can go back to your seats. Make an effort to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to let them see Christ in us. Have a conversation this week. One of the reasons I like taking mission teams and taking groups out of the country I like for people to see, hey, they might look a little bit different. They might sound a little bit different. We worship the same God. We worship the same God. And folks, what's so exciting is sometimes we get in a little bubble ourselves. And we start to think, man, we have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit or, or the power of God. And, and what God really wants us to see is he's at work all over the place, folks. And some of those churches I've been to. In Northeast India, I felt the presence of God like at no other time in my life. Some of those churches in Nicaragua, I've experienced the presence of God. And folks, sometimes it was under a tree. That was the church. It was outdoors under a tree. One of the ones that uh, the hottest I've ever been in my life was 113 degrees. We were preaching in a building that was under construction. The roof wasn't even off. So they put a tarp over the top of the building so you weren't in the sun. I was sweating so much, my entire Bible was drenched. The reality is, God loves those people just as much as he loves us. He, and he wants us to reach across the aisle, show love to a brother, show love. Hey, that may I struggle with, with different things. Reach out and buy, a, buy dinner for a law enforcement officer. Buy a lunch or give a gift card to a teacher in your child's classroom and let them know we, we appreciate you. 
We say we're thankful for what you're doing. Reach out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. This church should be a place of grace, a place where we don't see ourselves as better than we think we are. But folks, the reality is this. God sees us as broken and in need of a Savior. And he sees us, if we know Christ is our Savior, as redeemed, changed. And Christ, all these disciples were in a boat, and they were exact same place. And folks, the reality is Jesus sees you when you can't see him. He sees us when we can't see him. And look at verse 48. It says, he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Let's look at the obvious point. Jesus sent them into the storm on purpose. He knew what was going to happen that day. He's the master of the sea. He knew exactly what was getting. It didn't catch him off guard as he sent him away. He knew they were going right into the middle of the storm. But folks, he had a plan. He had a purpose. And he, he, he was using this. He sees you even when we can't see him. We know from John's account, the disciples are three or four miles from land. They were in pain. They weren't making progress. The, the wind was against them. And Folks, the Christian life is not going to always be smooth sailing. It's not going to be always rainbows and, and butterflies. It's not going to always be beautiful. But blessings come in the midst of our burdens. Blessings come in the midst of trials and battles. In and, and Acts chapter 14, it says, Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Take comfort. The Savior sees you this morning. He sees you in your very moment of despair, your very moment of need. He sees what your struggles are. First Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We see, fifthly, deliverance is often delayed until it's darkest. Deliverance is often delayed until it's darkest. And folks, the reality is this morning in verse 48, he says, uh, the second part of the verse, he says, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He waited till they got in the midst of the biggest part of the storm. That's when God showed up. And folks, that's when God does his greatest work in our lives. It's not when everything is on a mountaintop experience. The sun is shining. There's beautiful flowers blooming. Everything is going. Yeah, your checking account looks great. Your health. You got a clean bill of health. Everything. All the bills are paid. Your, your car's gas is filled up. And you're excited. Everything is going great. But that's not the times we see God doing his greatest work. It's in the midst of those trials. When we feel like we've tied a, 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 a knot on the end of that rope and we're barely hanging on, that God shows up. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. There's no doubt the disciples would have wanted him to bail them out earlier. But Jesus waited for that perfect moment. The fourth watch is between 3 and 6 a.m. It was dark. They had been out there for hours. The disciples had been straining against the wind for eight to nine hours to no avail. They can't get to Jesus because, but he makes his way to them. Don't you love this morning that he knew exactly where they were? He knew exactly what they were facing. And to see Jesus walking on the sea 
should have taken their minds to Job chapter 9. It says in verse 8, You alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. You would have thought it would, it would have brought back memories of, of previous tests and trials. You would have thought it would have brought back to just a few moments earlier when he fed over 5,000 men plus women and children. You would have thought all these things. This week I was researching and studying for this message and then there's a such a thing as a Jesus Christ lizard. This lizard can walk a lot. Right? When I was I was researching, I was like, there's no way this thing can walk on water. Now you guys know how scared I am of snakes. I mean, if I was out there on a lake and this thing starts making a beeline for me. I mean, I'm, I'm going to find an escape route. I mean, I'm going to hit that thing into high gear. We're going to be getting out of there. But I mean, and it's called the Jesus Christ lizard because it walks on water. Jesus showed up in their biggest time of need, their darkest hour, and they experienced his presence. You see, six, number six, your greatest need is to see Jesus for who he is. Look at that last part of verse 48. Does he meant to pass by them? As Jesus is walking on the water, he, he walks right on past the boat. You're like, whoa! <laughs> let's let's put you, you got the, the searchlights when there's a plane that's missing. You want to get the attention of, of the authorities and hey, no, we're over here. And he walks past them. He he didn't forget them. What does that mean? Was he intending to just walk on by? Jesus was not trying to hide his identity. He was actually revealing his glory and his goodness. Verse 49, verse 40, verse 50 says, When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they saw him and were terrified. They were thinking, this is some movie. Am I having indigestion? Did I watch a movie late at night and I'm... I'm having flashbacks from that movie. What, what is it that I'm watching here? Jesus walked right past him. The word for ghost is phantasma or phantom. It was a cultural belief in, in, in this Jewish time. If you saw a ghost, it was a sign that death was imminent. So you can imagine, they're terrified. They've been battling the storm for eight to nine hours. And all of a sudden, they see a ghost walk past them on the boat. On the water, they're, they're absolutely petrified. They're going, we're, sudden death is upon us. They're, they're terrified. What do you think the disciples' biggest need was at that point? What was their greatest need? Was it to have the storm die down? Was their biggest need to get to shore? Was, was their biggest need to feel better about themselves so they could live their best life now? Was their greatest need for the, the storm just to become completely silent? The number one thing they needed was to increase their awe of the Almighty. To be in awe of God's power on display in their midst. And uh, Jen Wilkin puts it like this. She says, our primary problem is not a lack of self-worth. Uh, and she said, it's that we lack awe. Don't tell me who I am until you have caused me to gaze in awe at I am. Let's look at the last phrase he says in verse 50, the last part. He says, take heart in his eye. Do not be afraid. I love this. It's a reminder because 
all throughout scripture. He says, fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. He's constantly, over 365 times in scripture, he's saying, fear not. Don't be afraid. He's reminding us daily, as we have need, not to fear. Take heart. It is I. We need him. Dr. E.D. Hill preached a powerful sermon years ago at a Promise Keepers event in Chicago. He preached it on just two words. God is. He said it over and over again. He whispered it. He shouted it. He illustrated it. He declared it. He proclaimed it. And he dared anyone to deny it. It wouldn't seem likely that you could preach an hour message on two words. But once you get settled in your heart that God is, a lot of the other problems in our life are solved as well. We're trusting in God who's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He knows he's in all places at all times. Folks, we serve a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think or imagine. He wants to do greater things in our lives. And he wants to accomplish his purpose for the church of Jesus Christ. And before you think, hey, you, you've missed a part of the story. Mark's account doesn't even tell about Peter getting on a boat. This gospel account, you have to go back to the gospel of Matthew and you read where Peter gets out of the boat. And for a few moments, he's actually walking on the water towards the Savior. But in this story, it's, the account's given by Peter. And so he doesn't even mention that Peter, maybe he's a little embarrassed. Who knows? Maybe he's not, he's humbled by the whole story and the whole situation and his lack of faith. But folks, the reality is, is before we judge him, he is the one that had the faith to step out of the boat and, and go to Jesus and, and go to him. And John Orberg said this, he said, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. It's easy as a follower of Jesus to say, I'll tell you what I would do if I were in their shoes. And America is, is filled with armchair quarterbacks. We're filled with backseat drivers who feel like we have all the answers. Well, we could do this, we could do that. Or if I was the pastor, if I was the worshiper, if I was this, if I was that, I would do this, that, and this. The reality is, is that's not where God's placed us. He's just called us to be faithful. You be faithful where I planted you. And God will do the rest. He'll be glorified. He'll be magnified as we yield in obedience. And then we see lastly, he says, be on guard against a hard heart. You ever wondered how the disciples could be so dense? They had just witnessed him feeding probably over 15,000 people. They get on a boat, and a few hours later, they feel like the world is completely crashing around them. Everything is out of control. Verse 52, he says, he got into the boat with them. The wind ceased. They were utterly astounded. Verse 51 says, for they did not understand about the loaves. That last part says, but their hearts were what, church? It's 
interesting that the disciples' hearts were hardened. When the boat hits the shore, we read people were so hungry, they were coming from all over, bringing the sick, the poor, the needy, the destitute. In fact, verse 53 says, when the crowd had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and more to the shore. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and they ran around the whole region, began to bring sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And whenever he came in villages, cities, and or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might teach or that he might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Jesus wasn't even done with his miracles. In fact, as they made it to the shore, people began to bring all of the sick out of the villages all around just to touch the hem of Christ's garment. Sometimes we can look at the disciples and say, their hearts were hardened. They didn't believe Jesus after everything he had just done. Folks, before you get frustrated with someone that you're discipling or you're investing in and you're not seeing them progress, is this is the inner circle of Jesus. Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And ends up dying. Folks, Peter denies even knowing Jesus. Thomas says, I've got to touch your actual hands and feet and, and side to, to believe that it's actually you. This is the inner circle, folks. So sometimes we, we might be a little hard on ourselves and hard on other people. These are the very ones. I wonder this morning, an application, are you struggling to understand God's ways. Are you struggling to understand his purpose? The devil will do everything possible to make us angry and bitter towards God. Folks, we must guard our own hearts to keep it healthy, to keep them from becoming hard because these are the, the people that were closest to Jesus. His inner circle, the word of God says their hearts were hardened. We must learn to obey God even when we don't always understand his plan. Trusting in his sovereignty, church, is, no, is so vital to our obedience even when we don't see the end of the road. Sometimes we're in the middle of a trial. and It's hard to get up and go to church on Sunday. It is. I'm having a Struggle with my faith right now. Folks, that's the time we need it the most. The pastor David, you don't know what's going on in my world. Everything seems to be crashing around me. That's the time we need God even more. The moments that we're struggling and that our faith is weak, that's the time we have to remember all of the things that God has done for us. How he's been faithful time and time. He's healed. He's, he's saved. He's changed lives. He's radically transformed. And he's doing it day after day after day. And folks, we can trust him. We've got to continue being obedient. Your greatest need is to see Jesus for who he is. And maybe the current situation, maybe the current storm of life is necessary in order for you to see the goodness of God. 
in ways that we can't imagine. Maybe the storm is just like those disciples who had just seen God do a, a mighty work in feeding literally thousands of people. He had to send them into the path of the storm once again so that they would be in awe of their creator, in awe of, of their savior, of their God, who would lay down his life and die and rise again the third day. Maybe they had to do that so they could experience true worship. Church, he wants to accomplish greater things in our lives that require our faith and our obedience. What we did at Holding Hands a moment ago was not just to have a, a touchy-feely moment. It was to help us see that God wants to do something in each one of us. And folks, if we'll be obedient, collectively, what he can do across this room would change this entire city. What he can do within the people that are gathered here and those that are watching online would radically transform this entire part of the world. People will begin to see there is something going on at that place. God's hand is all over it. And those people are, are making an impact on their city and it's changing for the good. For the glory of God, we can't take credit for it. It's time to step out of the boat and begin to walk on water. Because you see what happens is, it's only through faith and obedience that we experience that presence of God in such a fresh and real way. He wants to do a mighty work through this church. And church, it requires you and I to step out in faith and obedience. Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning I pray 